In three, two, one. Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, The Deep Dive, featuring your esteemed hosts, Andy Monitor and Drew Dinzik, powered by Spurts. Welcome to The Deep Dive. Andy, happy Monday. <clears throat> happy March Madness. March Madness. I mean, baseball in two weeks or so. <sighs> NBA's back from the break. That was I don't even like the NBA, man. Not all that much. And I, I kind of missed it over the weekend. Or oh, you're especially crazy. Monday. Oh, Monday and tu- Monday and Tuesday were just like, what are we gonna talk about? There's no it's well when you have a daily morning show, like it's and the NBA goes away, it just creates a stupid void. Because I sure shit ain't talking hockey. I don't know anything about that. So fun- yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, was gonna say, you know, you, you can't poo-poo NBA. I mean, I I look, I don't watch a lot of college basketball. In fact, this regular season, I watched like maybe five minutes. I think I saw five minutes of one Wisconsin game, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember why I don't watch college basketball. And it got to conference tournament time. I have a role with NBC Sports doing some preview shows. I'm like, okay, I better start to get a little bit of, you know, a feel for this. I watched a lot of conference, you know, I watched a lot of college basketball during the All Star break, a lot during the uh, conference championships. The quality of play in the NBA is so superior. I mean, it's just a better product. It's tough. They, you, know, you can you can nitpick a couple things about NBA, um, but man, the quality of play is so much better. Oh, yeah, no, for, for sure. I mean, it's just like, oh, could Alabama beat the Browns and all? Like, no, no. These are these are these no. are the best of the best. Like, of there's 300 some goddamn teams, and of them, you know, you're putting 15 of those players on 30 franchises. Of course, it's yeah, it is it is a much better product. It's it's. I almost consider it two different sports. Honestly. Yeah, it kind of is. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's treated way differently. End of game scenarios, way different. Three point shooting is completely different in a lot of these leagues where they just, I mean, it's not the same. The The revolution hasn't caught up in some spots of the country yet for uh, three point shooting yet. There's a lot of mid range jumpers, man. And, and there's, you know, there's some bad coaching. There's some bad decision making. And, Honestly, a lot of the games just aren't that good to watch to begin with. But conference tournaments were a ton of fun. I enjoyed them. I I, I shouldn't espouse about this. I had a long argument with a, a bookmaker about uh, a future bet this morning. Oh, really? <laughs> said, yeah, said Eastern Washington didn't win. Said Southern Utah won, and they showed me the standings. <gasps> and I oh, said, no. I said, well, this was a tournament bet. It doesn't say that anywhere. What? Uh, I said, well, I bet it the dates. I bet it four days after the conference schedule was over. Like, <laughs> it, it was. Like, oh my god! It was like it was like forty-five minutes back and forth with an agent. Very annoying morning, but conference tournaments were a ton of fun. I had a ton of fun. I'm starting to dig into the brackets right now. I was going to blog something tonight. I'm just not ready. I'm going to let's talk about it. let's talk about Wednesday. Yeah, we'll, we'll get deeper get into that college, on Wednesday. Let's get a college basketball guest and and do some do a do a March Madness exactly. deep dive Wednesday because we have an extra day this year, right? And People we have an extra hour this it. week. We have <laughs> no, we got no opposite. 
Somebody stole a fucking hour. From oh us, shit! Man. Yeah, man, I'm way off. Yeah, um, but no, but we do have an extra day. The uh, it doesn't start in earnest until Friday, and so if we put up a, some content on Wednesday with a college basketball guest, um, you know that we we'll it'll, it'll, it'll be thing, you're right. yeah it'll be it'll be decent for a day so we won't get too much into your thoughts specifically on the tour no i don't I, and that's what i'm saying i, I mean on the top, thoughts on the, yet. On the i'm starting i have i have a few beginning thoughts but i'm gonna i'm gonna take each each region and kind of look at it see if i want to place some i like those to win the region bets i think we'll talk about that a bunch on wednesday i think there's some nice value there nope. My it's favorite. hard it's hard to win six games man it is my favorite handicaps are um i like the uh the conference, like conference props, you know, like the conference will and over under games, conference versus conference props. I like the some of the seeds over under props. How many one seeds get in the final four? That sort of it stuff. It reminds me of uh, the bowl game props from a few years back. Exactly. Those are those are, those are a ton. God damn it. We're, we're going to have to get into all those. Those are yeah, a ton I can't of fun. wait. Um, but regardless, and I mean, Sangaroon, I, I, I told you this morning. YouTube channel got banned for um, basically too much sex appeal is what they said. So we're, <laughs> we're throwing off too much fire and the people can't handle it. So we have to tone it down. I might have to wear a hat more often to hide my hair, but yeah, we are, we're on I, I, the YouTube, go find the bet spurts YouTube account. If you want to watch this on YouTube, it's on YouTube right now. We've I'm just using the bet spurts account. I might just use that going forward. Cause I don't, don't look like I'm getting my account back. So realistically, somebody probably just mass reported us because we are a threat and uh, and they took away our YouTube account, and I'm pretty upset about it, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm holding my breath, hoping that they do the right thing and reinstate us um, before going nuclear. But uh, yeah, if if you don't, if you want to watch on YouTube, it does present some advantages to Periscope. It's less glitchy, but um, it's better. Well, yeah, we are. We're, us, on, man. we're on we're on Twitch and Facebook right now too. If you want to find an alternate, and of course, this is always out in podcast form eventually probably tonight but yeah yes um regard regarding let's set the table yeah let's set the table go for it speaking of sangaroon and talking to him this morning about this exact same thing um somebody in the chat on brown bag bets this morning says hey andy what what's uh what after what what win packs they didn't say packs, (laughs) but i was wondering too i said when college basketball is over what are you going to talk about and i said you know there's golf but the timing of the show doesn't really allow me to do daily bets because it's mid round. So I can talk about golf like one or two days a week. I said, I may have to get back into, and it's been, you know, I dabble during the majors and I play along. And when I see something glaring, I'll bet it, but I have not modeled nor seriously bet tennis daily for probably a year and a half. Just been very busy with NFL and honestly doing the, Doing the podcasts and having a full time job at the same time was, I mean, that was, it was busy enough just trying to keep up with NFL, college basketball, and then started to add golf. So I didn't really have the time. And I said, I'll do tennis. I might do tennis again. And I have, you know, the March Madness is three weeks yet. So I have a few weeks to get my shit together on that. And I looked at it and I'm like, for me, it's almost like handicapping a brand new sport because not only, has it been so long since I've done it that I probably don't even want to go back and find my numbers and what I used because it was probably trash anyway. I was probably a break-even tennis better at best anyway. But also the fact is just it, it's it been so long that I kind of want to just do a fresh start 
and I wouldn't even know if I could, you know, if I went and found my old spreadsheets, I don't even know if I'd know what I was looking at. I'm notorious for not labeling things so well. So I'm almost treating it like I haven't handicapped tennis before. I don't know much about <laughs> tennis and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited about diving in new and it got me thinking about this topic. And then Christ, you brought it up just, you know, a bit ago that you don't do much with college basketball, but you had some content to do. So you had to pay attention and, you know, start to form a way to look at that. And, you know, maybe what I hit on there was pretty prophetic too. When I said they're not the same sport because NBA and college basketball are both played on the same court, but they are not the same sport. They cannot be handicapped the same way. And they're very different. I think the same can be said for ATP and WTA. I don't think men and women's tennis needs to be approached the same way. Obviously college and pro football. And then I, I don't know if there's a hockey one. KHL is different. International arenas are bigger. Sure. I know, that, I know that, but no, for, for, you know, anyone who is kind of finding themselves in that. And I think a big one is going to be baseball. Oh, of course. And we're, we're not going to be able to sit and tell you how to put together a great baseball model because man, there's, that's such a data-driven sport now, and there's so much. And we are going to have a baseball guest here very soon. But I think it can be – hopefully what we can go over today can be useful no matter what you're thinking about diving in. If you're going to say, well, I'd like to start doing golf now. I'd like to start doing tennis now. Obviously, baseball sure. in two weeks. I'd like to get into baseball and not be an idiot about it. This isn't going to be a pure modeling because we've done that in the past. This is going to be a a preparation, like putting together your checklist and – you know, maybe getting yourself prepared because we talked about this a little off air. It's almost like the modeling podcast we did where sure, I think a lot of the DMs we got after that were kind of in the same ilk where they all said, I just needed to get my ass in gear. Like yeah. taking the first couple <clears throat> steps, it snowballed. Like I just was, it was so intimidating building a model. It sounded like something I couldn't do. Once sure. I got it going, I was going. And I, I think that'll be pretty similar to this. Yep. Yep. Okay. So let's get started then. Um, the first thing, absolutely the first thing that everyone should be thinking of is um, where do I get some data? And there's a lot of data you need, right? And there's, I guess there's really, there are two distinct types of data you need. One type is data about the sport itself. And the other type is data about the betting market. Right. You can't go into this with just like, okay, give me all the stats. I'm going to crank it and I'm going to come up with the perfect price. Like you need more than that. You absolutely have to have a whole second approach where you say, okay, give me all of the historical odds. Give me some, uh, you know, give me some, uh, uh, some line movement indicators, things like that. Uh, you know, give me some, uh, historical matchups, give me some results that I can take a look at and start to figure out how much is a point worth? How much is a point worth to the side? How much is a point worth to the total? Uh, how much is a game worth in tennis to the side, to, you know, to the handicap, to the total in best of three in best of five, right? Like if, if you don't have a database of results uh, to answer those questions, then you're already at a disadvantage in terms of coming up with pricing. Uh, and then, but, but most people kind of think of the first half of that, which is I want data. I want like some, some inputs that I can plug into a model, uh, right? I want to train some sort of regression. I need some inputs for that. Um, and that's pretty obviously an important first step, but I think there are massive, uh, 
distinctions in quality of data, right? Quantity is not always key. Like you want quality data. And to me, there are a couple of huge indicators for what, what would I, what, what I would qualify as quality data. I want stuff that has been adjusted for tempo in basketball. That was the first thing that I went to look for. I was like, I, I don't want, I just want, I, I don't want like, you know, points per game, rebound percentage, you know, offensive rebound percentage, free throw percentage, three point percentage. Like, yeah, I guess that stuff is kind of useful. And, you know, you can add a little flair to your model with that sort of stuff. If you can figure out what matters. Um, but much more important is you, you want stuff that's been normalized a little bit so that it's all equal especially for something like college basketball where you're taking teams that play in different conferences and you're mashing them all up, right? Like I can, I can tell you just from looking at the data, the big 10 plays a very different style of basketball than the big 12. I mean, completely different. <laughs> it's, it's like the net rating joke I made a week or so ago about how net rating had Colgate as the ninth best team in the country out of, Patriot is it Patriot or Colonial? One one of those. It's a tiny league up in the Northeast. Colonial is not a two seed. You know they're not a three sure. seed. Sure. Colgate. They're they're a very good team in their conference, and it it fools the efficiency ratings the way that Net puts things together. But that's where an adjusted efficiency rating, something that normalizes the the data, is super important. You know, oh, yeah. and the two the two best, the yeah. two key things are pace and quality of opponent. Strength of schedule. Those are the yes. two huge ones. And if you can find someone who is routinely addressing those <laughs> in their data, uh, in the data reduction process before posting, uh, then they have saved you an enormous t- step, right? Because strength of schedule matters. If you're, like you said, if your net rating is amazing, but you've played the worst, you know, 10 teams in college basketball over and over again for three months, great. We don't really know how good you are relative to an average team. Like that's all that all that really matters is you want to know how good it is relative to an average team, right? That's the toughest part about your your little example you just gave there. Like you can say, oh, this team had a terrible strength of schedule and they played very very well. They beat the shit out of this bad team. They're not as good as we think they are. Well, that's not a very that's not a very concrete answer. That doesn't answer. That answers one thing, but it does not solve any of your problems because you know, (laughs) you know, they're not as good as they show on paper, but you have no idea how good, like you have no idea, you know, without adjusting for that, you can just say, well, they're not as good as that. Well, how much worse are they? Like, unless you can actually find a way to adjust for it and figure out, you know, with the strength of schedule, some sort of normalization, you don't know shit yet. And it sucks. And there's a lot of stats out there where it's like, well, this is, you know, this is useless because it's just against whoever, or, you know, it's like, it's like taking all the stats from NFL after week one and saying, well, this is the best team. Well, you know, well, they, they played the Jets, Andy, like, are they really the best team? <laughs> uh, stats say they're the best team, you know, it, it, until you can, and that's, what's the toughest part about the NFL is once you have that first week, you don't really know who's super bad or super good. A lot of guesswork involved there, but I mean, yeah, a big thing would be to find the quality of data, especially, you know, in a sport like, and it's going to be different for every sport. It's going to be in baseball. You know, there's a lot of people that do splits, you know, the, you know, we have a lineup that just can't hit worse shit versus I'm not big into baseball. So I'm going to butcher some of this stuff, but you know, I do talk to baseball guys enough and the, you know, these guys against a lefty, it's, it's a bad look, even though it looks like they should be a little higher priced here. 
you know, they're taking pitching, they're taking umpiring, they're taking, you know, even a lot of that is down to the player level data. But I mean, some of that stuff is just, you can't, if you don't adjust it for something, honestly, it's more than just quantity, you know, qualitative. There's, yeah. there's quantitative aspects to that if you don't adjust it, your, your numbers are going to be shit. And yeah. I think the, the, like you said, it, it's a shortcut when in your first step, cause this is your, your data gathering step is such a big step and it's such a pain in the butt as you dig through sites. And I think this, it kind of bleeds over into networking because if you can ask some questions like that, that's a huge shortcut in here is, Hey, where do you get your stats from or where's a good place to find this? I've had people answer that question two dozen times for me and find websites I've never heard of and places where they find things. And I still use some of those places. Like that's, I mean, just definitely network, ask around, talk to people, figure out where other people are getting their stuff. Other people are pulling their stuff where people are finding, you know, starting pitching where people are finding lineup cards soon, where people are finding which goalies out. Like, it, sometimes it's just a Twitter account they follow. Like this guy is always going to let you know, you know, this one thing that you need to know before you can actually make a final number on a game. So the, the information and data gathering part is pretty time consuming, but it's it's like the pyramid, man, that, that foundation. If you're going to start the sport, you've got to have a, a good foundation to start on. That's right. Uh, and if you're going to go out and get your data for tennis, um, you want to think about normalizing it for a quality of opponent. You know, somebody's just destroying it on the challenger tour. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have that same success at the at the you know at the pro level, at the top level. Uh, similarly, you're going to want to normalize it for surface that they're playing on because the different court speeds matter for tennis. You know, and thinking through that stuff, normalizing it all for uh, you know for the macro conditions that have first order impact on the results is, is huge. And so for basketball, for me, the things I was looking for are schedule, you know, strength of schedule adjusted, and uh, tempo adjustment. Uh, because those help kind of start to start to help provide some focus, uh, you know, and 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 help make comparisons. Because ultimately, you're going to want to create uh, a winning percentage, a probability of Team A beating Team B. That's the whole point. You want that. You want that win percentage, and then from that, you can convolve that into a spread. Um, you know, a projected score, you know, all kinds of things you can do, but the, but the step one really should be, um, you know, what's a fair money line price here. So I would take a look at, um, uh, you know, the, the options that are available. Most people probably assume like I have to go to ESPN or CBS or NBC or something like that to get like the data itself. But, um, you know, in the case of college basketball, Ken Palm obviously decided, Hey, I'm going to provide numbers for free for everyone that are adjusted for tempo adjusted for strength of schedule. And that's a great place to start. Although of course, once it becomes ubiquitous across the gambling community, then you're not going to necessarily find an edge against the market if everyone is also using that. So you got to be a little bit more intuitive, a little have a have a nuanced approach in terms of what you're doing with that data. Um, but still, it doesn't change the fact that like if you're starting from scratch, if you're starting fresh, if I'm going to go build a golf model, um, I need to start going. I need to start start somewhere by scraping some data. And again, like. Data about the sport is important, but I would say equally as important to me is historical odds. Yeah, I was just going to say it it almost marries into what we had uh, when we spoke with Matthew Trenhale a couple weeks ago. Sure. And, you know, this this is kind of getting off off of what you just brought up, but we'll come back to it is not only historical odds, but 
understanding the market, understanding where the market opens, who opens it, how bef- how long before a match, you know, in and it's so different in every sport as far as, you know, if you don't understand where the market originates and how it moves throughout the time from origination to, you know, tip, kick, whatever, first pitch, you're, I think you're going to be having some problems as well because you won't be able to back test. You need to compare your numbers. And, you know, that, that goes right hand in hand with going and getting some opening and closing lines from the past. But it really, and it, it really is going to just, differ so greatly from sport to sport because like in golf, you know, the, the lines are going to come out and you're going to have a few days with football. There's like a week and something. And, you know, we're going to keep leaning on tennis because that's something I'm going to be into. Tennis is a tricky one because, <clears throat> and anyone who's watched, you know, Brown bag and watched Alex try to handicap some of these North American tournaments. He's like, here's what I'd make this line, but they're playing right now. And, you know, they don't have order a play out for tonight yet or for tomorrow you know that they're in these tournaments when there's only one day between a match you know, that they're not going to set a line for the next match obviously until you know who plays in it and then of course somebody has to originate that and then it's never going to be somebody you know I, I say this in a generalization but for the most part it's not going to be somewhere you can bet mm-hmm. like we talked about this tiny checkbook or marathon bets i mean these crazy outs and weird places in eastern europe are going to open some of these tennis markets and you're going to have to stand, sit there and look at it. And I think a lot of, I think a lot of people do just chase steam off that and are probably halfway, halfway successful, but, you know, understanding when a market opens, where it, where it opens, why it opens and why it moves. Cause if you, if you continually see a market open, let's say, you know, even if it's somewhere you can't bet, if you see it open at marathon or whatever, whatever the name of that checkbook was sure. and, and, you make someone a, a, you know what? Let's say you make someone a decent favorite. It opens, it opens that way, and it moves strongly against you time and time again. Like you can learn way more about anything than from the stats. I'd say, of course, like definitely, course. if you can watch those, and, and that's that's the problem with just you know opening it up on DraftKings when it when it's up eight hours later. Sure. And you just say, oh man, it opened here. So I show value. Like, no, it opened the other way and it moved there. Like really understanding, you know, and even down to what the limits are at some of those books. If you can get down and do some of that research, figure out who's betting it, how much and what, what it takes to get it there. I think that's super, you know, super understated in a lot of markets. And it, it's, it's different in a, in a market like tennis where you only have a short period of time to mature a market compared to, you know, we understand the NFL cycle so well from just betting it for a couple of years and watching it and paying attention. I think that's behooved us greatly and it can in any sport. And that's something you need to nail down right away. Sure. Yeah. Well, and that's, this is again, is, is kind of outside of the actual coming up with your own number. It is very, I completely agree. God damn. You really want to know who opens this number first when do limits go up when does the market really start to move who are the most influential players that are playing into this market when are they betting like that's obviously very tough to figure out but you know you get a sense of it uh, you know if you if you're playing at a you know if you're limit betting like you'll you'll start to uh figure that stuff out pretty quickly um but yeah, no, that that idea, that concept is hugely important, like understanding the market you're getting involved in. And in fact, like even before you go to the trouble of 
trying to build a model with the data you download. It is very straightforward if you have a two-week sample of closing numbers for teams that are playing often, daily, college basketball, NBA, whatever. If you have a couple of weeks of closing lines, you can back out of that what the average market power rating might be. And honestly, you can do pretty well knowing nothing about the sport, nothing about the players, and nothing about you know not having any normalized data at all if you have a set of market power ratings and you're just looking at the opens and you're looking at the market power rating. You're like, oh, that's weird. They adjusted this by two points. I wonder why. Um, you know, let's dig into this. Is that is this an overreaction? Under you know, are we are we buying? Uh, buying high, uh, low on a certain team here because the market adjusted two points away from them for no reason because they played, you know, they lost by 40 points last time out on Sunday when they didn't have all their starters in. You know, that sort of stuff is real, uh, you know, yeah, uh, you know, is, is a really nice and interesting way in, of getting involved in the first place, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, I think, um, that was the first thing that was the first thing I did for college basketball. <laughs> I just got as many uh, as many of the uh, closing lines as possible, so I could start to get a sense of within any given conference what's the you know what's the power rating range here. Yeah, you know, and then yeah, yeah. From there, you can uh, uh, you can trans you know transfer that you know that knowledge directly into um, you know the opening lines you see on any given game. So yeah. And I think it's funny that you brought it up and I'm not dogging on you here. Cause I would have done the same if I hadn't watched much. And truthfully, I did the same because I don't watch all that much college basketball. I got a high maintenance wife. I got two kids. I've got a farm. Not really a farm. I don't do any farming, but you know, it's a big yard. There's a lot of snow. No, it's the winter. Yeah. Snow. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, the winter right. time. I, and, and I have a job. There's a lot of things going on. I don't watch nearly as much sports as I'd like to. And especially college basketball. I don't get a chance. I'll watch half a game in the evening sometimes if I get a chance. So I actually sat down and watched a lot more basketball than I normally did for conference tournament preview or conference tournament time. And it's funny what maybe some people who thought may, that should have been the first step. Like, shouldn't you just watch a shitload of the sport? And it does it, it does hit a certain point when you you talked about that. If you had two weeks, three weeks, a month of data, opening and closing lines, and saw how they moved, and just used those to back out some power numbers, that would be that would be much more beneficial than sitting down and going full Tweety Dimes and watching every pitch of an entire MLB season, which he didn't do. That's hilarious. No. I mean, it's it's the green lumber fallacy. And if anybody, sure. I, I believe it might, that might be part of anti-fragile. The, I, one of the best commodity traders or something, he, he, he was really good at trading green lumber, had no idea what green lumber was. He thought it was painted green. It means, you know, it was fresh cut. Yeah. And this, this guy didn't even know what he was trading, but he understood the market so well that it didn't matter. And that's, I think that's paramount to everything you're trying to do here. And if you don't really have a grasp on what the market thinks of a team, it might not matter what you think of a team. In the short term, you might find some luck, but <clears throat> if you can't, you will have to disagree with the market. That's not to say the market knows better than you. For the most part, it will. But, you, you know, you will find small edges here and there. 
But if you don't have a baseline of understanding what the market thinks of teams or players or, you know, race cars, what have you, then it's going to be a struggle down the road. And I think that's a, that's probably base baseline. Number two is setting up what the market does. I mean, you do a great job of that every year for football. When you take the, the opening numbers from CG and back them out into, oh sure here's, here's yeah. what they think, you know, and this, it's funny because it's by week two. Some of these numbers are hilarious once they've made their adjustments, but you know, in the summer, we know what the books think of teams relative to each other by taking, you know, 16, 17 weeks of football numbers and just backing out the, the power rankings by them. And it, it's the same thing. You can do that in season. You can do that right now with the NBA. You can do it right now. And you want, you, oh, I guess let's just describe that real quick. Um, yes. If I take the last um, 200 NBA games and I take all the closing lines and I take all the closing totals, I can put them in an Excel sheet. You don't need advanced kind of computational framework for this. You could put them in an Excel sheet. You index an offensive and a defensive rating for every team. Okay. And you can, you can use as a guess, just average, just 100, you know, the average total in an NBA game is 224. Is that true? You can, what's that? Is that true? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Okay. You can <laughs> get, yeah, you can guess that you can start with a guess that every team's offensive rating is 112, every team's defensive rating is 112. That's a fine place to start, right? And then what you do is you create a residual between your guess and what the actual closing number was. And you can get that by basically saying, okay, the line ought to be the difference between the average of the offense and the defense. For each side and of course if you start with 112 112 you're going to get zero but if the closing line is actually nine well then you have to adjust one or both of your numbers okay and then if the total your guess total was 224 because you're now taking the average plus the average of the offensive and defense rating plus the average of the offensive and defense rating you get 224 well the total is actually 229 you know so you now know you're off in which direction? Like one, this team should be better than this team. This offensive rating should be higher or this defensive rating should be lower, right? So you're getting information from that uh, calculating those residuals. And then you can do this for 200 games. And then Excel has a function called solver where if you take the sum of the residuals and you say, hey, Excel, you see all those offensive and defensive ratings over there? I want you to guess what those are, but you're going to do it in a way that you make that sum of the residuals as small as possible. And you say, okay, that sounds, that sounds fair. Uh, solve it. 5,000 iterations, whatever. Okay, this is the set of offensive and defensive ratings that matches the market the most closely. Uh, and if you even want to be a little bit more complex and you want to say, okay, well, I actually really want to squish out the outliers here. Well, you can look at the sum of the squares of the error there. Uh, and if you want to, you know, keep keeping in mind, like a positive and a negative should be eliminated, right? Like you don't care about sign. You just want to know magnitude of the number being off. Um, you know, then you look at the sum of the square of the error, minimize that. You're going to get a set of ratings that re reflect what the market thinks about all these teams on average. Now, are there going to be random ones in there where some team didn't have their star player on a given night. And so instead of a, 
uh, minus four, they were plus nine. Absolutely, you're going to have examples like that. And you can specifically kind of go through. And if you're following the sport closely enough, you, you're not including those in this exercise anyway. Um, but, you know, for the sake of just kind of a general understanding of the market, this is a hugely valuable exercise to come up yeah. with sort of an average. On average, this is what the market thinks of these teams. Now, it's valuable because a market reflects the opinions of thousands of people. Any opinion you generate yourself and bring into this exercise is not going to be as robust as the market. It's, on it's a sat. <laughs> You're it's a, one. It's yeah, a one so one hundred millionth of a. Yes. And it's true. And it's funny. This this kind of jogs some memories too. The way you do that, the way and you you know there are ways to do this outside of Excel. You know R has this sure. functionality too. Solver is great. Um, just a little shine for friend of the pod and just overall good guy and fellow Minnesotan. Eric Eager, and I'm not even sure if he does this anymore, but he was working with Data Camp a little because he's for he's with Pro Football Focus. We've had him on the podcast. I'm pretty sure we had him on this year to talk football. Yeah, we've we done talked his to him before the divisional round games. Yeah, I was trying to remember which playoff round it was, but Eric Eager has worked with Data Camp and he put together, I think it's just his linear algebra class. It was free, lad. Like they made this stuff free during the pandemic. Which I don't have to pay two thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars. Yeah, it's it's funny. <laughs> the timing is of you know people harping on some of these class. The, the data camp stuff is a much cheaper than that. And if anybody does want to learn how to do stuff like this, or there are classes for. I mean, some of these classes are like fifty bucks for some of the. You know, none of them are more than a couple hundred if you want to take a, a decent math class. But like to do something like this, to learn how to do something like this in R. He uh, he had a data camp class for it. Like I said, it was free last year. I don't know how much it costs now, but definitely something to look for if it's you know something you want to do, something you're interested in. Because honestly, of uh, and I I won't comment on that class. I think it's too expensive. I actually DM the guy. I'm like, hey, how much? You know, what's this class all about? And I was thinking it was going to be, you know, <laughs> I didn't think it was going to cost that much. And I'm like, and I'm like, hey, thanks. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll look at, at it. I just and the timing, the timing, what day it is. I didn't like that either, so I passed on that. But you know, I've taken some classes through, or not Data Camp, but a few of the few of the places that offer things like edX and stuff like that for like 60, 70 bucks. You can, you know, what what's it called when you when you don't actually get credit for it, you're just like demoing the class. Uh, you're auditing. Auditing. Yeah, I've audited plenty of classes for, you know, much, much less than what it would actually cost because I don't give a shit about a credit. It's not going on a resume, but something like that would be much more beneficial than almost anything else you can learn on Twitter or anything from us, honestly, to take one of these and learn how to do this and back out those numbers because it's it's a goddamn key. Like it's, it, it unlocks a lot. It unlocks a lot about the market. You'll have an instant great understanding about how the market feels about every team. Yeah. Yeah. And do that. Like there's no lines up for tomorrow's NBA, but I want to start thinking about those games. Well, guess what? I have a market set of power ratings that I can look at and say, okay, we're probably going to get these. All right. And then I can run my own numbers that are a little bit of a tweak away from that. You can see where there are differences. You can see where there are gaps. You can start to facilitate some handicap around that. And, uh, you know, you have ideas of positions that you may want to take before you even have a market available to bet into. This is a valuable, I mean, and realistically, like, you, you know, you, you know, you, you know how valuable this is in the NFL. 
you know it. How fun and how interesting and how much, how helpful is it when the playoffs start to think about, okay, when the Ravens play the Chiefs, what kind of line are you going to get? Right? What's that line going to be? You know, thinking about this sort of stuff ahead of time and having a set of, you know, market set of ratings so that you can be prepared to find the right side because you shouldn't necessarily just say, I'm blank at any price, right? Or yeah. if you do, you better know damn well you're doing it, paying a premium. I've made bets where I knew I was paying a premium. Sure, of course. Not often. You do it too often, you're going to find yourself in trouble. But, uh, you know, surely there are certain you know instances where, uh, you know, you want to you want to side because of blank qualitative angle, and you're willing to pay a point or two points premium. Sure, um, and, but, so, and yeah. you're 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 doing the NBA, and I think it's such an interesting example because you have your numbers. Let's say Drew has done all this because he has. He knows generally if the Lakers and the Rockets play tomorrow at the Staples Center, yeah, it'll be a fifteen he knows, point spread. He knows what the spread is going to be. Spread opens, it's 15, 20% off what he thinks it should be. Instantly, he knows somebody knows something about it. <laughs> or they're, they're, well, either that or it's instantly bet off that. Somebody yeah. knows something. There's some injury news that's not out yet. Someone's sitting. Something's happened. I need to either tread lightly or if I think I know what's going on, I need to hammer the shit out of this. Like sure. instantly, if if something, if you know where the market should be, if you know where the market sentiment has been, will be, and is going to be in the future, and it doesn't open there, then you can really start digging in on something because something something is amiss. And the, in the NBA, maybe not a better example of that. With you know, why why is this total? Who's sitting? What's going yeah. on? Yeah, great great example. Uh, CJ McCollum comes back for Portland tomorrow. Yeah, Portland is playing the New Orleans Pelicans. There is no lineup. If I take my average market power rating for Portland, which is based on the last handful of games that they've played without him, I'm going to get a line that's in favor of the Pelicans, likely, if they've correctly factored in McCollum coming back and his impact on that perform team, you know, that team level, team level uh, expectation. And I can look at that number and I can say, oh, I got two points value on the Pelicans. Sweet. Or I can say, okay, well, you better dig in here. Oh, it looks like McCollum's back. Okay, that's why this number is what it is. And then you can even go a step further and say, well, is two points reasonable? Should it be Should it be more? Is that too much? How much impact is he even going to be? Let's read some coaches' notes. Are they going to give him a full complement of minutes? Is he going to come off the bench? Is he going to start? You know, like you can, you know, it, it's all of this is important. You need a starting point for all of this because if you're rolling up an hour before tip and you're looking at the spreads and you're like, well, I like that team. They're doing well. They're hot. They're on a streak. I'll bet them. Like that's you're not gonna you know you you're you're gonna get beat by a tortoise in a in a in a gambling competition. So I would absolutely. Uh, you're referencing see. everything. <laughs> well, there's a lot going on in the world of gambling Twitter. It's a lot, it's been a fun uh, fun month so far. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's pretty uh, you know it's it's starting from f a fresh start. Um, you know, the the idea of getting data that you can use to kind of facilitate building out and you know coming up with the number the idea of um uh of collecting historical odds to build market power ratings is huge the third thing i want to bring up is let's research um you know what has been kind of commonly written about handicapping this sport let's let's do a little literature review for lack of a better word 
right? Like, let's, okay, um, I'm going to start handicapping college basketball, or uh, that's college basketball, a bad example. Um, I'm going to ha- start handicapping baseball this year. What's home field advantage in baseball? I don't know. <laughs> Is it, it's not, it's not three runs, right? <laughs> it's not like three points in football. We're going to give them three runs in baseball. No, no way, right? Somebody's probably researched this though, wouldn't you say? Well, let's yes. go. Let's do a little literature review on what home, home field advantage is in baseball. Oh, actually, you know what? It's even more complicated than just literature review of home field advantage is worse. This in terms of a winning percentage, there's actually park factors where depending on how the park is was actually constructed, it favors t- a team with this type of hitter versus a team with this type of hitter, a team with this type of pitcher versus a team with this type of pitcher. You know, like, does is it a day game or is it a night game? Where's the sun angle? You know, like, there is an enormous library of literature that has already looked into this and covering this stuff. Yeah. Right? And, and, like, all the, all, yeah. the, all the sports that we talked about that aren't played, you know, and we'll throw hockey in there, even though I know that international arenas are bigger. But for the most part, you know, NHL hockey is going to be played. And they, they all weren't the same size back in the 70s. I found that out once. Blew my goddamn mind that the, the, the ice, is, ice was different sizes at some point in the NHL. But for the most, you know, football, basketball, the courts are the same. There's some stiff rims. There's some weird sight lines in certain arenas, yes. But for the most part, it is the same damn thing. We've all seen the scene in Hoosiers where they measure the rim. But golf, you know, different courses, tennis, different surfaces, Obviously, different, you know, and that's something you can throw into football too is temperature, weather. But you know, golf and tennis can definitely be affected by temperature and weather. Uh, altitude, big in tennis and certain certain junctures, and the same thing like you said. And you know, obviously, we have Denver in every major sport too. If you want to talk altitude or college basketball, there's some high up schools. But you know, all these different things that you start throwing in, yeah, there's going to be. It's not like you're the first person to figure out. Like, you know, what's what's the difference between Bay Hill and, you know, the other Florida courses? Like, there's multiple hundreds of articles previewing every course, previewing every tennis tournament. Start digging into those and figure out what does everybody else know? Because not only should I be caught up to that, but I should start looking at and throwing out how much of this is probably horse shit. Yes. It's like it's like 80. It's a, it's a, the, the principle there. What's a Pareto principle? Am I trying to think? What's the 80-20 rule? Something like that. Oh, yeah. But yeah. It, 80-20, baby. It, a lot of it is trash. I mean, you're going to read – go read 10 previews for this Honda Golf Tournament. Like, it's going to be the same thing over and over. I'm going to do a show tomorrow. I'm going to say the same thing that all of them say. Like, it's it's the same thing. Like, it's just talking points. Like, a lot of it is just informational. This is what the course looks like. It's a really hard par 70. Every single – article you're going to read it's a really hard par 70 it's it's a difficult course it can get sure. windy everybody knows these things you know the the people that are beating some of these markets are digging way deeper into stuff like that but you do need to you need to know what everybody else knows and you need to start figuring out you know like i said how much of it is horse shit i think of course and um if you haven't done step one and two <laughs> if you don't have team level player level data that's normalized. If you don't have historical odds and uh, and market information, then you get to step three. You do your literature review. You have no way of testing any of this for yourself. No. You're just at the whims of whoever wrote it. And it could, yeah, 80-20 is, yeah, when it comes to sports betting, it might be more. <laughs> it might be 
2080? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Um, well, I, yeah, I was no, going okay. 80 80 percent horse shit. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, oh, no, okay. Like, oh, okay, 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 okay. Um, all right. Well, uh, yeah, no, and you know, a lot of this stuff has been written about in the past. A lot of it is uh, there's a lot of useful reading out there, and Google is a phenomenal resource for a lot of this stuff. Um, and you know, there are a handful of books out there that have been written over the years that are still relevant. Like there are a lot of good concepts and topics available in the in the you know in the uh, the handful of well um you know well-written well-read uh gambling literature for lack of a better word and all that stuff is a great place to start because uh you know yes all of these concepts have been beaten into the market but yes if you don't know what the concepts are and then you're the one that's holding the bag you're paying the tuition to learn it the hard way is that a fair way to yeah, say I mean, it? Yeah, if, if a course or a, a course play is difficult for certain kinds of golfers, if a if a park is really tough on a certain type of hitter, if a surface at a certain, you know, a surface combined with weather, let's say hard courts in the smeltering sun are very good for a certain type of tennis player, and you are not understanding that you need to be factoring in these things you know, as a baseline number for some of this stuff, you will be at the will. So, I mean, you, you know, I, I kind of harped on that green lumber fallacy and said, don't just sit and watch a shitload of tennis or don't watch, you know, any sport. I still think that's true. I still think just the net, that's where the network, it comes in because that's not the sort of stuff you can just sit and research. I mean, a lot of it, you can, I'd say that's another 80, 20, like 80% of the park factors and stuff you can find an article and read about, but that last 20% about maybe figuring out. Um, I mean, let's stick with baseball, figuring out umpires. I know a lot of people use umpires and they're handicapping, figuring out like you're, if you just want to take that and break that down, like how much does an umpire matter to a game? Like the, the, the far ends of, let's say yeah. we're using it for totals. Who's the best over umpire. Who's the best worst over umpire, best under umpire. Do they matter as much with every kind of pitcher or are they, you know, only beneficial to certain types of pitchers, sure. certain types of hitters, certain teams, um, you know, is this sample size just small and doesn't mean anything. How do you actually weigh this with your numbers? How much does it actually matter towards a side? And then also, key step where do i find any of this information you know is there somebody how many times have i sat and banged my head against the wall pulling information from like five different places and then somebody's like oh yeah there's a website for that and of course some off the wall website that somebody that's just keeping track of this data and putting it a lot of times just out there for free and you can find something silly like umpire data or you gotta stop looking at the charts they're not good yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um bounce back uh, maybe minor setback major comeback a asia's sell-off right now is just absolutely thunder effing Bitcoin. we need to cut um, the power to china okay uh the fourth maybe most you know i don't even i think this is valuable for getting started but the likelihood that you're going to wade into the water in a major sport and find an edge betting sides with no previous experience, it's pretty damn low. But you know what you can do while you figure out sides? When you, while you start to track your numbers, while you start to track even hypothetical positions you would take? You can bet the derivatives. 
you can bet some props. You can bet some props. There's no reason that you can't build a baseball model out to to price totals. Let's say let's say you you say you're a weather guy. Let's say you're you really into weather and you're like, you know what? Like I have a better feel for weather than the average person. I know how important weather is to baseball totals. I'm going to build a baseball total model. Ready? Freaking go. Well, it's going to take you a little while to get usable betting, you know, bettable. It's going to take you a while to, to find your edge there because there are a lot of other weather guys who are doing that and they're doing it well. They're making the market and they're winning money year in, year out, and they will continue to do it forever. But you can find a niche. You can find you know your angle if you work hard at it. But in the meantime, that's some yes-no first inning props. Like that's a market that's only going to take 250 bucks or something. Like that, you know, there are not a lot of people out there who can realistically long term really shape that market. So give that a crack. Right. You're going to start, you want to start betting sides in baseball. You want to start making prices on teams for given pitchers, but you're you want to collect a little data first. Well, handicap the strikeout market for the pick pitchers, right? Like you you actually want to start building pitcher numbers? Well, you know, get get going at that. Come up with some angle that identifies value at a first five line versus a uh you know a full game line, you know, like attack some of the weaker markets, find some of the softer spots to um, you know, to make your your original foray into this. And uh, you know, for all you know, that you might enjoy doing that better ultimately than betting the sides of totals anyway. <laughs> it is it is a lot of fun. Derivatives and props are fun. And that, I mean that's the point too. You're if you're going to jump into a brand new sport, you're likely not going to be max betting a major market side or total off the bat anyway. So might as well just you know limits shouldn't be an issue then. Bet a derivative, bet bet a prop. You know, there's people that handicap first quarter NBA, third quarter NBA, strikeout totals, home runs, runs, uh, you know, hits, hits. What is it? Hits, RBIs and runs. I think is hits, it hits hits uh, hits runs about, and RBIs. See, uh, it's like it's like it's like rebounds, points, and assists. But for baseball, I think it's hits, runs, and RBIs. It's not hits. So like so like a home run is not, three. Hits, yeah, runs, hit, errors. Oh no! No, it, no! For hits, runs, player? and errors. Hits, runs, and errors is an actual. That's, that's a for a team yeah. for the game. Yeah. Well, for the usually they'll set a total for the game. I'm not sure if they do it by team. That'd be interesting too. But hit, hits, runs, and RBIs. That's a common one you see for MLB. I think a lot of people, especially if you have any DFS background, I think you could probably do pretty well on them. And that's you know that's well said. Start start with something small like that while you're monitoring stuff. That it kind of takes the starch off of paper betting like we've talked about this in previous episodes you should maybe paper bet first that sucks it's no fun you don't really have action you don't have any skin in the game you're you can't trick your brain into thinking you have skin in the game when you're paper betting it doesn't matter so having a little bit does help i think and yeah like like you said there's always a derivative or a prop that is you know correlated enough to what you're trying to come up with in the end that you can probably just take your numbers and trickle it down to that. Okay. Okay. I like, I agree with all of this and betting into these is the starting place is, you know, that's maybe the most valuable <laughs> kind of conceptual uh, jumping off point we can give you here. Um, and I think again, in general, like, or, or let's say, Hey, I don't really feel comfortable 
making a number on these teams or adjusting off of the market until I've seen a lot of these games. So I'm going to watch a lot. Yeah, or at least forward testing, like saying, here's right. my number, here's the market number. I want to look at that box score at the end. Sure. And see how close the, the metric, you know, I want to look at a bunch of box scores with a bunch of numbers and see how close the metrics were over a decent sample size to my forward projecting metrics, not just, you know, back testing. I was going to go so far as to say, well, if you want to make your time worthwhile while you're watching the game, watch the live market, get a sense of yes. what the how the live market reacts to. Uh, you know, oh, the the Jazz have a four point lead at the end of the first quarter, or they got an eight point lead at halftime. Okay, well, what's going on with the live number? If the pregame line was ten, right? Like, is it moving towards it? Is it gone up to twelve? You know, what's what's is it? Uh, you know, what's what's the dynamic factors at play there? Getting a sense of uh, of how a live market decay. moves, yeah. yeah, and not betting into it, but just and honestly, like, great way to keep track. Just write down the number, like. You know, hey, every five minutes comes by, or every every commercial, every uh, not commercial break, but every uh, every time out, this is the score. This is the this is the line. This is the score. This is the line. This is the score. This is the line. Like just that activity of writing that down every time you, you know, you hit the you know some major you know marker where you could put a decent sized bet in, you'll get a feeling of what the dynamic fabric of a given. Uh, given market looks like, and you'll get a feel for, uh, you know, what the appetite is for a given team, one way or the other, right? Like, you yeah, probably, it's not yeah. all. It's not all. It's not all just time decay and algorithms. Like some of it is definitely, like you said, the appetite for a team, how the market is getting bad because the live markets move, they swing pretty hard, based on you know. There's some people that can get some pretty big numbers down. Like bookmaker takes some decent money on live bets. There's a few other places too, and I think um, I kind of want to backtrack too um, to the derivative and prop market people. Like if you're the kind of person who has like 20 outs or even like eight to 10 different offshores or, you know, somebody in a legal state that isn't banned yet and has, you know, a bunch of different legal options, some offshores, maybe some locals. If you get off on price shopping, you're going to fucking love props because they're even just like, and this is not something I handicap. It's something I'd, I'd like to get more into. And I, I do it lightly, but for the most part, I just rely on my guy, Tim, or, you know, Alex does it too. And he has some pretty good numbers, but first touchdown markets, I open up like six different books for that. Cause there's a few that are just shit. And after a few times I shopped, it's like, well, this, they're never going to have the best number. This is just a bad book, but there's like five or six that I'll look at and, it's wild the differences you'll find in some of these prop markets. I yeah. think you can I, I think a lot of times you'll you'll find this like, man, I really like over, you know, over six and a half strikeouts minus one ten, and you shop at five, six places. There's gonna be somebody that has like a plus one ten. Like there's just big differences. Stuff you're not usually seeing, stuff you'll never see for the most part in sides and totals. Like when you're price shopping, you might find something that's five cents better. Like yeah. for the most all the time you're finding stuff in these prop markets, it's way better. So I think it's it's a good exercise in doing that too, and just making the most of your making the most of your bets, even at you know smaller limits. So yeah, I completely agree with this. And um in doing so, you're gonna figure out what you know, again, we we talked a little bit about knowing who opens uh the line first, who's the originator, 
When is the real movement happening? Right? When do the circles come off? Um, who has the smallest hold on any given prop or any given market is important to know because that's your market making book. Um, generally, uh, who has, uh, yeah, who has, um, yeah, uh, I, I would even go so far as to say, I guess the, the market making book is that's a generalization. It's a generalization and it's tough unless you're sitting and taking opening and closing numbers at a dozen books for sure. a big period of time. That, sure. That's a big undertaking, but for the most part, that's more of a, that does turn more into a networking problem where you can just finally realize like, Oh, play golf. It's like, yeah, bookmaker has the sharpest numbers for the most part. Whereas like if I'm, if I'm betting uh head to head and I look at three places and you know, bookmaker has the worst number of it. They're charging me the most to bet that I can find a better price somewhere else. Like I'm excited about that. Like the fact that bookmaker is the worst of the number. That's that's great because they're they sh ideally in the golf market should be one of the sharpest. And the fact that you know when I when I do have one of those and it's the opposite and I see bookmaker has the best price, I don't feel as good. <laughs> that means, you know, they want my money. Ooh. That, that mm. means they want my money on this, which means Ooh. they're taking decent money or enough money on the other side. And you know that that does give me some pause once in a while. Usually, it's such a small, it's such a small difference that it it doesn't bother me a lot. But it's kept me off a better too, where it's like, oh boy, they're they're way off. What are we doing? They really want to take some action on the other side of this, and I'm that guy. Like you don't want to be holding that <laughs> bag. So you know, yeah, that's that's maybe a smaller part as you progress on. But understanding, you know, who is the market maker? Where are the big bets coming in? who has the sharpest numbers and why should you respect that? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm hundred percent there. Oh boy. Well, um, I think that's pretty fair. We're almost at an hour. I think, uh, were there any questions you really wanted to, uh, uh to get to? Oh, uh, do not bid any ETH on the whale punks. Uh, that was fun. That's a fun joke. Uh, we're not going to say they're not for sale. I don't care how much you're we'll burn them. We'll burn them before we let you have them. Yeah. 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 Um, um yeah. And, you know what? This would be a good, uh, maybe we'll do like an, uh, an ask me anything or a Q and a with this in the next couple of weeks as I, I bet some questions roll in on this people trying to figure out some of these things for themselves. And, uh, like, like Drew said, we're going to do some basketball this week. We're going to touch on baseball next week. So we'll have some good conversations about some sports here going forward that, uh, aren't football as we you know slide into april and we get probably a little deeper into draft stuff again yeah that's gonna be great fun uh, i'm excited for that and uh the agency's been fun yeah it really has um a lot going on man <laughs> a lot of commentary but i'll save it until all of the chips have fallen yeah um, there's still a lot of pieces i mean basically the whole wide receiver market is still in flux yeah yeah okay march madness preview on wednesday yeah let's do it Cool, 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 cool. Any uh, any early looks from the uh, mid majors that you think uh, I need to know before the market moves too much? I I don't remember shit being mushed this much. I don't believe in mushes or you know Twitter mushes or people you know the public piling on a team. But Christ, like yeah, we get it. Ohio, um, 
Oregon State, like people, there's just a few teams everybody loves. And it's probably going to be like those, you know, there's like four teams that people want to bet on or fade. They probably go two and two. So I guess bet them all, lose a little juice. But yeah. What do you think, though, in general, though, about March Madness and the public moving the number? They don't know. It, it happens every year. I mean, just there's so much volume on some of these. It's just going to happen no matter what the limits are. And I mean, it's it's a highly bet market. It's a lot of fun, and you know, th- I think you see a lot of movement early on these because it's a tricky market to price. Yeah, I bet if you if you I bet you get a bookmaker to admit that pretty easily. Where he said like, <clears throat> I mean, these teams don't play each other. It's like uh, yeah. it's like they're not trying to take stands. They're not trying to take stands. They're gonna let they're gonna let volume move this thing around. Yeah, they're, they're gonna they're let water water fine, find its level. Yeah. More, yeah, more than fine letting the market dictate who's gonna who's gonna be the sharp side on one of these or where it moves to. So these are yeah, if you have good numbers in basketball, you you're more than they're more than happy to take your money on these early. Circa was taking 10, 10 G's a pop on the side right off the bat. So I mean, there's some people that did bet into these markets hard, heavy right away, and you know, you're gonna see numbers move a lot. So kind of keep track of that. You know, grab openers on this March Madness stuff. If you missed it, grab openers for the second round. You know, as soon as those start popping up, grab them, try to figure them out. You know, they're, they're, you know, there's plenty of websites where you can look and, you know, go back and see what these open at as well. You know, you can go figure this out pretty quickly, a game-by-game basis. Go do that, figure out where the money's coming in, see if you agree with that, and have some fun. Bet some, you know, the props that we'll talk about Wednesday. Bet some regional futures. Don't don't get too nuts in the future pricing right now. A lot of that stuff is just good. Like those numbers are good. Gonzaga's yeah, no, overpriced. Agree. Gonzaga shouldn't be two to one, but I mean, even at that, like, yeah, you know, you're going to lay the minus two fifty on the other side. It's it's not a bad number. It's actually, they weren't taking, they were only taking a hundred bucks on it, but I mean, the problem gave, is they got to buy to the final four. Essentially, they do. They're <laughs> so, my only. F- and I know they're dead because they're my only future. No, oh, come on. Although All I right, did, well, I, I cashed Virginia two years ago, so I'm on. I'm on a speeder. Okay, cool, 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 cool. We're on um, All right, with that, we'll call this an episode, and we will be back to talk March Madness in its in its in, in its glory. glory, in its entire glory, on <laughs> Wednesday night. Sound good. <laughs> Little uh, little Calcutta in the air, looks like. We get a little March Madness Calcutta. Might use uh, might use Wednesday's pod as predominantly as research for the Calcutta. I think we need to figure out where these props are that you're talking about. The one the one seed part the the sum of the the sum of the seed thing really really intrigues me. I like those. Oh yeah, that's always one of my favorites. 